what's the real game plan to try to solve this? In Speed and Scale, they talk about convening a little bit and they actually mentioned the TED um, Countdown Conference that I just got to go to last month, which was incredible. I think it was only seven or 800 people, so it's not a huge group. But in not just that conference, but you know, there's our Net Zero Conference, there's Green Build every year, there's lots of climate conferences. And they talk about this, them in the book because that process of convening is so important, like sharing ideas. You could describe the whole climate crisis as just an education problem. Yeah. Which I think is, yeah. well, like I think it was Greta that said recently something like, we've already solved the climate crisis. You know, we have all the technology and ideas that we need. We know what we need to do. We just haven't done it yet. So that these conventions and conferences kind of help help create climate action faster by sharing those ideas. So I think they are super important. The climate conversation has never been more divided. As disruptors in this space, we're hungry to find solutions to the challenges our environment faces. Welcome to the Climate Rebels Podcast. My name is Joel Caesar. I'm joined by Owen Barrett and Chris Pomerleau. We are experts in clean energy, net zero real estate, decarbonization, and entrepreneurship. We celebrate those who take action against the climate crisis and are striving to make the world a cleaner place. Thanks for joining the conversation. Now, let's get to work. Welcome to the Climate Rebels podcast. Joining me as always is Owen Barrett, now the Donald Trump of Green Building. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, myself, Joel Caesar, the world's greatest climate podcast host. Today's guest was Drew Shula. Drew is the founder and CEO of Vertical Group, a national leading sustainability consulting firm specializing in green building certifications, engineering services, strategy, and events. He is also founder of the world's largest annual net zero event, the Net Zero Conference and Trailblazer Awards, which we learned is coming up in a few weeks in Los Angeles. And we also learned that the greatest speaker of all time at the Net Zero Conference is <laughs> one of the hosts here today on the Climate Rebels podcast. But uh, Drew's a great guest. He's a friend. He's kind of a legend in the world of green building. What do I take away? Man, I mean, he's such an optimist. It's refreshing and at a time when it's hard to be an optimist. And I think his story of being an entrepreneur and deciding he wanted to make money by doing good and taking a risk on himself a long time ago and leaving a big company and starting a, a new company out of his garage and now seeing that grow to 25 people. It's pretty cool. What'd you think? Yeah. I mean, the optimism thing is it's so clear. He's just, he's such a like happy go lucky guy, but I think Drew's the, uh, he's the antithesis to the go woke, go broke. You heard that slogan? Like I have, yeah. He, he's doing good by doing well. And I think we need more companies like Vertical Group because it's just proof that the you know impact and money don't have to work in opposite. You can have sort of one drive the other. They can work together. So I think his story with the vertical group is just, it's an inspiring one and it gives hope to other like, clean tech entrepreneurs out there. Yeah, I think you and I agree and I'm sure he does too. It's not just that they, those ideas work together, but the future is going to demand. You're not going to be a growth company yeah. if you're not also yeah. focused on impact and doing better for the people on the planet. Yeah, so true. But but before we get into that with Drew, let's dive into a segment we're calling The Trees Won't Save Us. I think you have a different name you'd like to call this bit, but I wanted to make it a little more PG. So why don't you tell us what you want to talk about? Sometimes you just learn something or you hear something that's so stupid. uh, You just can't help either say out loud audibly or to yourself, what the fuck? And this is one of those instances. So have you heard of the Republicans' new plan to plant a trillion trees? That's their solution to climate change? I have not heard this is an official position. <laughs> so the new talking point amongst one of our political parties is now not to deny climate change, but it's, yeah, it's happening, but let's just plant a trillion trees and then we don't have to worry about anything because it'll take care of itself. So the target Sounds that we're easy. trying- Is what? Sounds easy. Yeah, sounds easy. Just plant a trillion trees. Just get some drones up in the air, shoot seeds all around, do a little, you know, let Mother Nature water it with some rain. The problem is that it's not going to have nearly a big enough impact, nor is it going to happen fast enough. So a trillion trees would save temperature from rising 0.15 degrees Celsius by 2100, which is 0.15. 0. 0.15. 0. 0.15. So one tenth of our target temperature rise by 2100. So it's just, it's a stupid idea. It's another distraction. And the fact that it's gaining steam as a talking point 
is, I think, scary. And to go a step further, there's two startups that have raised tens of millions of dollars on the back of this idea, we're going to plant trees. And I don't think we need dumb ideas like this. I think we need good ideas that have real impact. That's the part that's frustrating. You know, whatever, they want to run some marketing campaign. At least they're saying they're acknowledging it's happening and they, there's sure. some strategy to like address it. I guess we'll call that a win. <laughs> and of course, everyone can agree. Planting trees is a good thing. Uh, it's, they're using the right species and the right ecosystems and they're trying to maintain them. Great, right? More trees that will pull some carbon out of the atmosphere. But the, the fact that, you know, you, you and I know we've been at this game for years trying to raise money, trying to convince investors, private equity, VCs to invest in our ideas and that we think are going to have big impact. It's a constant game of competition. Like those few people have funds and those funds need to be deployed. And if they're being deployed into bullshit tree planting strategies. That's some other company that could have succeeded that didn't get that money. So it's not yeah. without consequences. No, I mean, I love trees as next to, as much as the next person, but don't pitch planting trees as a climate solution. It's not going to work. It's a dumb idea, but go do something else. <laughs> well said. I think we can end on that. <laughs> now let's jump into our conversation with Drew Shula. Drew Shula is a social entrepreneur and environmentalist. He is founder and CEO of Vertical Group, a nationally leading sustainability consulting firm specializing in green building certifications, engineering services, strategy, and events. Vertical Group is a certified B Corporation and 1% for the Planet member company, working on some of the highest profile green building projects in the world with visionary institutions like NASA, Google, Johnson, LAX, Meta, and Apple. Under his leadership, Vertical Group won a Real Leaders Impact Award in 2023 and was a finalist for Small Business of the Year from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce in Washington, D.C. in 2022. He is also founder of the world's largest annual Net Zero event, the Net Zero Conference and Trailblazer Awards. He's a frequent speaker at numerous events and has been featured and published in notable publications like USA Today, The Washington Post, Forbes, and more. So, Drew Shula, welcome to the Climate Rebels. Happy to be here. Hi, Joel. Hi, Owen. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for joining. Happy to have you. Well, we get right to work here. We always start the work. show with the same question. Drew Shula, how are you a climate rebel? <laughs> how, why am I a climate rebel? Well, I am sick and tired of fossil fuel companies running the world and greenwashing everything, and I want to see them go away as quickly as possible. So that's been the focus of my career in in the building world. And I know there's a lot of smart people working on this with the three of us right now. And I hope that it just moves as quickly as possible towards climate action. Get rid of fossil fuels and get the fossil fuel companies to die as quickly as possible. Love well, it. yeah, we like to keep it real on the Climate Rebels. So appreciate the straight talk. I think you're a rebel in many ways, which we'll dive into here. Let's start with kind of what's most pressing here. We're recording. It's mid-August. You got a big event coming up. Tell us about it. Yeah, Net Zero Conference in LA is just a few weeks away, middle of September 2023 at the LA Convention Center, biggest venue in SoCal. And we're trying to make this work happen, this climate action work across all industries. There's a lot of talks around buildings, of course, but also fashion and agriculture as well, we're trying to get those intersectional learning opportunities from different industries happening at the Net Zero Conference and lots of great talks, keynotes, and excitement coming up in LA in a few weeks. Drew, for the Net Zero Conference, is it mostly the attendees? Are they mostly fellow sustainability nerds? Or do you get to see sort of a diverse, like people from operations, people from marketing, like who goes to this thing? It is pretty diverse. So folks from sustainability nerds like us, of course, like you said, but utility folks, uh, universities, there's even some students there. There's mm -hmm. building owners and developers, you know, energy contractors, general contractors. There's all types of folks uh, that come out because sustainability and the climate crisis impacts everybody in every industry. So we do attract a pretty diverse crowd there. So you're a business owner, which is hard. And you also decided to launch a huge conference. <laughs> what, what was the motivation behind that? Are you crazy? <laughs> Just make my life as, as hard as possible. Yeah. So, we're B Corp. And 
So part of our mission is to just help make a positive change in the world. And we are for-profit as, you know, all B Corps are for-profit companies, but we're trying to make a positive impact on people and the planet. And that's really very much in our DNA. So through the conference, we reach thousands of people that we wouldn't otherwise, and we don't get to work on thousands of projects, maybe in the future as we keep growing. But with the conference, we reach a ton of people that we wouldn't otherwise and just help move the needle, educate and inspire folks towards a net zero future. So yeah, that's why we kind of took on events. It, this is our 10th year of the Net Zero Conference. The first year, it was just 100 people that showed up, and it just grew a little bit every year after that. It went to 300 the second year, so we decided, let's keep doing this, and now we're up to probably 1,500, maybe 2,000 attendees this year. Did you get a netzeroconference.com before Net Zero became a buzzword? I did. We did get that early, right, right yeah. off the bat. You know, eight or nine years ago, we got that website. And yeah, I mean, people were talking about net zero 10 years ago, but it was, it was definitely, I think a little bit newer sort of buzzword back then. And we honestly really fell into it in many ways. We weren't an events company. We were a sustainability consulting company and we were just doing an event on the side because we had some time and we wanted to help educate our clients around net zero. We really just ended up in the right place at the right time and then kind of grew it from there. Joel, I think we need a Raven conference. So outside of Raven and uh, Google, spend some time on that. All right, I'll get right to it. I love the idea. <laughs> we'll, we'll, go, we'll go nuts somewhere. I mean, Drew and I have talked about this. The Net Zero Conference is unique and very cool. I, you know, I, I appreciate you want to get bigger, Drew. I, I get that. But I also like its intimacy compared to some of the other bigger green building conferences you and I frequently attend. So I think it's special that way. And I know a lot of us in the field of green building, sustainability, consulting, you know, it's kind of a wide ranging group. You go to the conferences sometimes and, you know, especially some of the bigger ones and you're like, what did we just do here besides scream in an echo chamber and pat each other on the back? Like, wouldn't we be better taking our thousand dollar conference fee and going somewhere and building homes for people that are less fortunate and doing it in a sustainable way? So maybe that's the idea. Owen, we'll, we'll go build homes somewhere as part of our conference. We'll develop a, a conference, a website, and at the last minute, we'll cancel it and say, everyone, just invest your conference funds into Raven. <laughs> <laughs> well, Drew, you can uh, conference 10 years. I think I know the answer to this question, but I'm asking anyway. Who is the greatest speaker in the history of the Net Zero Conference? <laughs> Definitely you, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> That's correct. Okay, just making sure. Is that right? Yeah. I've spoken um, at it a few times. Last year, I was on a very cool panel, which we should talk about. We'll get to that next. But I remember years ago, I spoke because I think, as you mentioned here, it started out net zero energy was probably the primary focus, but now it's net zero water, net zero waste. And my talk was actually on net zero nutrients because it was me and some wacky people that were thinking about working on trying to collect and process human waste in buildings to be used for secondary consumables like fertilizer. So net zero conference, you go there and who knows what the hell you'll see. Net Crazy zero people poop. like us talking about poop. <laughs> you did bring up like why we convene, which I think is such a good question. And I don't know if you guys have read this, picked up this book yet, Speed and Scale. <clears throat> I think the author is, Dor I think his name is John Doerr, if I'm not mistaken. He's like a oh, venture yeah. capitalist. Famous Stanford climate guy. Yeah. yeah. And he's, he actually, he's a famous Google guy too, because he created this thing that we use for KPIs called OKRs. Good oh, TED yeah. talk. Yeah, you yeah, should yeah. check it out. They mention OKRs a lot in the Speed and Scale book. I highly recommend it. I just read it this summer. Another one I always recommend is Paul Hawkins' Drawdown as well. But both of those books give sort of a broad overview of the climate crisis that we're facing across all industries and in the context of 59 gigatons per year of carbon emissions. And how does that break down by industry? Like, how are, What's the real game plan to try to solve this? And I think both those books do a really good job from that macro level so that we can understand what's going on. But in Speed and Scale, they talk about convening a little bit. And they actually mentioned the TED um, Countdown Conference that I just got to go to last month, which was incredible. I think it was only seven or 800 people. So it's not a huge group. But in not just that conference, but you know, there's our Net Zero Conference, there's Green Build every year, there's lots of climate conferences. And they talk about this, them in the book because that process of convening is so important, like sharing ideas. And there's such an education problem 
you could describe the whole climate crisis as just an education problem. Yeah. Which I think is, well, like, I think it was Greta that said recently something like, we've already solved the climate crisis. You know, we have all the technology and ideas that we need. We know what we need to do. We just haven't done it yet. So these conventions and conferences kind of help help create climate action faster by sharing those ideas. So I think they are super important. Yeah. Well, where do we go next now? Net Zero Conference. I would love to talk about, Joel, as another panel that you were on. We had some young... Oh, uh, that's in- right. Yeah, the panel from last year. Let's talk about that. We had a great talk with uh, climate inf- like a climate influencer panel. And Joel, you were on there uh, along with Kevin Patel and Isaiah Hernandez. And I just think the idea of influencing, you know, might seem, you know, kind of superfluous, but the idea of climate influencing is super important again, because it's about, it's like science education and inspiring others to take climate action. And some of these young people and, you know, established people that have large followings are really making a positive impact with, with the people that they're reaching. It can be hundreds of thousands of people, you know, that they have a following around. So Joel, your panel around that last year was really great. I don't know if you want to share any thoughts from that. How'd yeah, Joel totally. get on that stage? Because <laughs> I need some certain follower count or something. I went, we didn't have the podcast yet, but Drew knew I was about to become the world's greatest climate podcast host. <laughs> that was a preemptive influencer. Yeah. Have you changed well, your Joel, Instagram to public figure yet or after that? You're like, all right, that's it. I'm, I'm going to do it right, it right after this show. I oh, will do that. But that Drew was nice enough to let me join that pan. I mean, the panel and Kevin and Isaiah were fantastic, and I I learned a ton about them on the panel, and I subsequently followed them. And you know, I actually DM with Isaiah a lot. Always love his content. But I think on that point, Drew, you know, we talk a lot on the show about what we're doing at Raven. It's very much a digital marketing company trying to raise money for real estate. So we're on social media a lot. We're, we got to learn about it. Or testing things all the time, and I got to say, in even the style of TikTok content, B-roll video, quick hitting, fact-driven, dynamic. It's all, I, I talk about this in my day job, which is very professional atmospheres, and it's like sometimes instead of some stupid deck or some stupid memo, it's like this message could be a thirty-second TikTok video, and everyone here would be better for it. <laughs> And so it's like, you can sort of, so especially us old guys here on the panel, on the podcast, talk about, oh, TikTok, that's these influencers. That's different, new to me. I don't get it. But it's not just a new wave of social media. This is a new form of education that we're learning a ton from. And I'm sure you do too. Yeah. So interesting because it's like, you have to, you got to have a hook. It's got to be short. Like, it's got to be to the point. It's like all these key things of marketing like distilled into one manner of distributing it but joel to your point it's like if we could just learn how to take what everybody learns from tiktok and deliver all messages that way i think everyone would be way more concise no doubt you you know i'm feeling very mid-career all of a sudden you know for the longest time i was always the young person and I think the further along you get in your career, we have to make these adaptations. And, you know, maybe we're just feeling that for the first time, but, you know, lots of older folks towards the end of their careers had to go through lots of, you know, internet changes, right? And, yeah, yeah. and up, upcoming here for us, we've got the metaverse, you know, it'll leave TikTok in the dust and, and there'll be other, me- but I think we just have to stay adaptable. And it's like, whatever communication channels are currently working, we need to be there. I read something the other day, this is not climate related, but kind of interesting, said that there was a study done and I can't remember if the number was 900 or 9,000, but there was only either 900 or 9,000 daily active users in the metaverse, which cost $36 billion to develop. That's like, man, that's probably not the best use of resources for a company. (laughs) That's crazy. Yeah. There's, I mean, I feel like it's massive investment trying to get over that hump of like, getting people to actually be there. Um, yeah. I, I don't know much about the metaverse, but it, that's a big challenge some of those folks are taking on. Joel, you spend a lot of time in the metaverse? Yeah, I'm actually also famous in the metaverse. Uh, <laughs> I'm an influencer there too. <laughs> I got my digital house next to Snoop Dogs and all kinds of stuff going on. <laughs> well, let's talk about adaptability and your role as a business owner, Drew. 
I'd love to have the audience hear about your story. I know I've uh, talked to you about it before. I think you started in a garage. So you're like this, you're like the Steve Jobs or the Larry and Sergey of Green Building. <laughs> well, let's start there. I have a follow-up question, but tell us the story. Vertical Group. Where'd it start? What'd you try to yeah, do? I think for maybe all of us as well, and lots of folks out there like us, you know, for, for me, my goal coming out of college was like, okay, how can I do something with my life where I'm making a positive impact and making money doing it? And I see you guys doing that with Raven. That's what I'm trying to do with Vertical Group and the Net Zero Conference. And I think, I don't know if this is a real world but like, word, but like climate startups, right? Like how can folks start companies, start businesses that are making a positive impact, especially on the climate space? You hear a social entrepreneur used for, to describe that as well. That was me. So yeah, I started Vertical Group 11 years ago. My, my background is actually architecture. So a lot of the work that we do is working with architects and building owners to help them make their buildings more sustainable and reduce the carbon impacts. Um, so we're doing things like lead certifications and energy modeling and commissioning of buildings, that sort of thing. Yeah, it was just me in the garage and now it's a, a team of 25. So certainly not Steve Jobs and Apple, but who knows what the future holds, Joel? Yeah, man. You know, zero to 25. That's a that's hard to do. So, so well done. A lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Where were you before? Were you, I think I know this. Were you yeah, at JLL, my, maybe? My background, I did architecture out at Notre Dame in Indiana, and I worked at a real estate developer in LA that was since acquired. They're no longer around anymore. And I worked for an architecture firm called Jerdy with a J. And then I also worked at Jones Lang LaSalle, JLL. Yeah. Drew, Fort when Friday. did you, how old is Vertical Group? 11, 11 years old. Okay. So you started it in 2012, more or less, yep. right? So yep. Joel and I met each other in grad school. We were there 20, 2010 to 2012. So yeah. Yeah. And so I have a background in finance and, you know, hated my life in finance and I wanted to get involved in sustainability. And the only thing I could find online at the time was lead like lead certifications was it sort of in like the sustainability world. And so I tried to get into it, had no luck. And that's why I went to grad school. But I'm curious how you, like a probably traditionally educated architect, like what drew you to lead? How did you find out about it? Because 11 years ago, sustainability was a very different world than it is today. Yeah, there was no major in sustainability like there is now. Uh -uh. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm sure Joel found that too. But I did have in my architecture program, I had one class on environmental design that I really liked. That was it though. There was nothing else related to sustainability in my five-year program. When I got to my first job out of college at an architecture firm, they had a green team and there was some just talk about LEED, but LEED was, that was very early days of LEED. This was yeah. like 2000. Was that um, California? Six, 2007. I was in California. So we didn't have any LEED projects are in the whole office, but we were just talking about it, talking about lead. Then I went, Joel, I know you, I think you know Danielle Horton. Yeah, of course. We got to get I her on the show. She's a climate rebel. Oh, She's great. in San Diego, isn't she? She might yeah. be. Yeah. So she, she hired me as an intern at Thomas Properties Group, where actually there's a lot of green building history there because David Godfrey actually worked there briefly, who founded the U.S. Green Building Council. Oh, but Danielle hired me there as an intern at first, and then I got hired on board full time and I got to work with her. That was my first real sort of like actual sustainability job. And that was my sort of springboard into working with lead from there. Hmm. Owen couldn't get into lead. He's a shitty interviewer, so I just couldn't get any good jobs. <laughs> lead. What does that stand for? That's an acronym. <laughs> Leadership. Well, Drew. You know, we're talking about books. I've been reading this book called Sell Like Crazy. That's by this Australian digital marketing guru. What's his name? I think I have it right here. Sabri Subi. And he talks a lot about how business owners, especially small business owners, it takes them too long usually to realize they are no longer who they thought they were. If you were a, you're a dentist and you start your own dentist dental company, you're not a dentist anymore. You're a chef. You start your own restaurant. You're not a chef anymore. You're a builder. You start your own construction company. You're not a builder anymore. You are a CEO. You are a salesperson. You are there to bring in revenue and customers. And it, he's trying to, in the beginning of the book, just trying to motivate the person who's reading it, I think, to say, like, first thing you got to realize is you now your business is 
100% reliant upon you to bring in revenue or else it will die. And these things you love to do, which you are great at, which is why you're probably starting a company, you won't get to do on your own. So I'd love to learn from you. You were a green building expert. You were an architect. Now you run Vertical Group. You agree with his perspective? 100%. Yeah. I definitely myself went through that change. You know, I started Vertical Group and I was working on, working on lead projects and I loved it. And as it grew, you know, we're still not a huge company, but even when you get a few people on your team, you're responsible for all of the functions of the company. So for us, it's we have operations and marketing and business development and events and project management. And so there's five teams within our company. And, you know, you might you, you get you still you still get to do a little bit of everything. So, you know, I'm still involved with the project and I love that. Right. I'm not I don't I'm not totally divorced from it, but I have to be responsible for all the other parts of the company as well. And I think sales is always one of the most important things, like you mentioned, Joel, but I also think that the culture piece is super important to get right, especially for small, you know, startups that I latched on to. And that's where our drive around B Corp came from and what being a 1% for the planet member company and what really walking the talk in a lot of ways around all of our goals and what we're doing in the world as we, or how we operate as a company, making climate commitments and these sort of things, and just creating a really awesome place to work. That all has to be created and built. And that's the sort of culture piece that becomes super important. Somebody has to do that and be responsible for that in addition to all the other things. But yeah, now today I'm really not working on the project work hardly at all anymore, uh, but I'm helping to lead and inspire and bring in revenue and making sure we're staying on track with our annual goals and those sorts of things. What did you like more, vertical group when it was three people or vertical group when it's 25 people? I like it mm. when it's 25 and I'd, I'd like it to be 250. That's our, you know, our longer term goal is to keep it growing. Um, you know, we're structured in a way now we've gotten through a couple of these um, growth uh, jumps, you know, yeah. going from zero to one and then one to four and then four to eight. And, you know, as you double, you know, you kind of hit these moments and we've gotten through several of those stages now and we want to just keep that going. I always explain that as because we're a B Corp, we're making a positive impact on every project we work on. So the more work we do, the better, the more projects we do, the better. So if we can grow our team by 10 times the size it is now, we'll be making 10 times the positive impact. What's the process for becoming a B Corp? Hey, Joel, if you have more, if you have more climate rebelly questions, you can nix that, but I'm curious. Hey, man, you're a host. Ask away. <laughs> uh, I, I, I was going to ask him about the B Corp, though. I, I have a point to make, but let him answer first. Yeah. B, B Corp as a process, it's, if you're familiar with lead, it's similar to lead. It's documenting. Uh, I didn't get any jobs in lead, so I'm not super familiar. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like a points-based system where the more points you get, the better. And so there's a, a huge framework that the, that... B Lab is the organization that runs B Corp that they created, and it's super detailed and built out around all the ways your company can make a positive impact on people and the environment. So it's the carbon footprint of your company and diversity and pay equity and a million things. And you're scoring yourself. And what happens is it gives you a list of areas where you can improve on. So it's this brilliant tool for continuous improvement over time. And we use B Corp as exactly for that. We're looking at our score every year and trying to figure out, okay, what can we do next to improve our score next time around? Well, that's awesome. So it's an annual certification process? It actually recertifies every, I want, it used to be two years. I think they've changed it to every three years now when you, act, when you technically get recertified. But we're using it you know, every year in between as yeah, well to, yeah. to keep making progress. Cool. I've heard it's kind of a pain in the ass. Like it's hard to do, which is, is. rightfully oh, so. Yeah. It should be. It is. It's not easy. It's a, and it's, it's extra, right? Like you're, you know, there's, you're not making any direct revenue from this, but what, but it is a huge creator of value because the company gets better. The more of these things you implement, the better the company is. The higher your B Corp score is, the better the company is. And it really works. Yeah. I mean, I'd heard that actually my wife, she works in fashion and she was interviewing a while back with a 
athleisure company out of Canada, pretty smaller brand, but they were a B Corp. And I remember being so impressed by that because the world of athleisure, you know, Lululemons, Vori, Vori just had some climate neutral claim, which I'm sure Owen would poke a lot of holes in like he loves to do when people are making these claims. But it's interesting, B Corp, I would guess amongst the general non-sustainability nerd public, it's hard for anyone to differentiate. Oh, Vori is carbon neutral. It's got some certification looking thing there. That must be legit. And oh, that's B Corp. I don't know what that is. But B Corp is different and better. I wish there was a way people recognize that companies like you, that's not easy or simple to do. That's differentiating. Yeah. One, one thing you can do is everybody out there listening to, to your podcast is to support B Corps, buy yep. things from B Corps. Vote, vote with your dollar is a great B Corp tagline. And it's that's super effective, right? Like there's, ton, there's over 6,000 B Corps in every type of industry. You can look for a B Corp to buy your food from and your clothes and your shoes and everything else you can think of. And it really does help to create this B Corp economy, which is, I think, something we all want to see happen. So Drew, let's pivot a little bit. Still vertical group, but we're talking green building, architecture, real estate. I'm sure times like right now, the commercial office industry struggling. Uh, big companies reconsidering their real estate footprint, you know, less people in offices. Do we need offices? I would imagine your best years have been when construction and development's booming, right? You're hitting on those new construction projects, trying to do lead, trying to do high performance green building. I won't ask that, you know, I like guess, is it a struggle now with the downturn or I would imagine there's opportunities to pick up some ESG work that's not so focused on real estate. Where are you guys at? Yeah, great question. We had our best year ever last year in 2022. So Vertical Group, again, it's 11 years old. We were stuck at around eight people for like four or five years. But since 2020, the past three years, we grew from eight to 25. And then this year has been, you know, nowhere near as hot as last year. You know, the rising interest rates have really put a damper on things. A lot of projects kind of going on hold. There's just not as much activity as there was last year. I think I'm hopeful that by early next year, early 2024, things will be back to the races again. But we've had to, you know, we've sort of been a little bit more flatlined this year after a ton of growth the past couple of years. So, but ESG is something that we see as a newer service for us the past couple of years that we think will really continue to grow in the future for sure. Owen is a vocal critic of ESG. He thinks it's all bullshit. So, what say you, consultant who brings ESG services to big companies? Well, let me give a little background. <laughs> I spent a lot of time poking around ESG ratings because I do think it's mostly bullshit. And what I see a lot of the time is companies get ESG ratings now based on what they say they'll do in the future. And my point is, why don't we give companies scores now based on what they're doing now? Because I feel like that's what's important. And to the B Corp conversation you would get reevaluated every year, every two years, every five years, whatever. But I don't see the value in, in giving someone a score now for what they say they're going to do in 25 years. I just, I think that's part of the problem. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think that ESG can be, a you know, if, you're, if it's done the wrong way, it can be used as a horrible greenwashing tool. And, you know, you see fossil fuel companies that have cigarette companies, ESG scores, yeah. right? And it's just crazy. I, I think of it anyway as an emerging field. We're still figuring it out and improving it as we go over time. But the way we approach it at Vertical Group is we're working with our clients that have an ESG program to help them tell their stories. And I think that like a B Corp certification, you know, could be thought of as like an ESG score, you know, way to score your company from a third party as well. That's really an effective tool. But, you know, if you think about an annual report for a company that was to show all of the great things that they're doing for people on the planet, you know, from volunteer hours to their projects that they're working on, their lead certified spaces, whatever it might be, put that all in a report that they share at the end of the year. That's kind of what we're helping our clients focus on through an ESG program. I think it's important. I think, you know, as you were answering, it gave... The my bone to pick with ESG is my same bone to pick in sustainability, and that's that there's so much coverage put on forward commitments 
like whoever came up with that idea as a concept is a genius because it takes everyone's attention away from what companies are doing today and more on what they say they're going to do so far down the future that no one can hold them accountable. There should be some program, Joel, here we go, shiny object, where you evaluate companies just on their impact, year to year impact, year to year growth in whatever their target is. And you don't even care about what they say they're going to do in the future because it shouldn't be relevant to the conversation, whether it's ESG or emissions, which I guess he's, is part of ESG. He brings up shiny object. I'm constantly reminding him on these shows when we meet people <laughs> and they're telling them about some cool business idea they have or some spot in the market they think they can exploit. And he just texts me on the side. He's like, maybe we should start a company doing this. And he's like, hey, Owen, you're running a net zero real estate company. Why don't you focus on the task at hand? Yeah, but there's so, so many let, opportunities let's out let there. Let's let Drew create a new impact. Drew, score. I want to see 2024. I want to see ESG now where it's just based on. Needs to be rebranded. That term, that acronym, <laughs> I think, is is a lightning rod, ESG. we got to come up yeah, with something new, true. Drew. Yeah, but it doesn't. it does not take into account forward commitments because I think that's a slippery slope. Yeah. No, we should build that. I just want to agree with you, though, on the forward commitments, how kind of crazy they are. I think a lot of companies you hear, and like we've talked about a little bit between the three of us, like that the general public just doesn't even understand all this terminology that we're using, right? Yep. That's a problem. But even for folks in the sustainability world, like the three of us are, when companies are making net zero 2050 commitments, you know, people are celebrating this and writing press releases about it. And that is what, 20, 27 <laughs> years away. 27 years. Let's take so long. 30 years. Yeah. That's a really long time away to just have a goal to get to net zero. And that's basically just saying you can do whatever the hell you want. You can have the worst emissions possible for 27 more years until you get to 2050. That's what a 2050 net zero goal is saying. It's pretty horrible. And Super just as a, as a comparison, Vertical Group, we, we're a small company, right? We're only 25 people, but we got to net positive in 2021, two years ago, we're already net positive. And we did it all the way back to day one of founding the company in 2012. We figured out our emissions for all our first 10 years and we offset those and we've reduced emissions as much as we can moving forward. And we're gonna continue to offset those, all of our emissions plus 10% into the future. So it can be done two years ago or 10 years ago. It can be done now. And 2050 is way too far out. 2040 is better, 2030 is even better, or today is the best, right? So yeah. for everybody out there listening, just talk talk to your company or organization, start to do it today. Yeah. Yeah, and I, it's always interesting, especially some of these, these really big companies with old white guys, let's be honest, running the show, <laughs> executives. And it's like, you guys, you made your money. You're an executive at a big company. What's the, wh wh why are you so afraid of taking a risk? <laughs> nobody I wants guess, to put their neck out nobody wants yeah. to be like yeah no one wants to ruin their you know their cushy job well we had it we admittedly it's much harder for these huge companies right so like we're a 25 person consulting firm like it's easier for us to get to net zero than delta airlines right but, but is it i mean if you took like proportionally your resources and scaled that to delta I don't think it's that hard. Like, I think companies could do it in five years if they really wanted to. I just See, think Drew, they don't want to. Drew's trying to grow a big company. He can't be taking shots at big Fortune 5. He, wants them, to be this, he wants them to be his clients. Long. He can't be here revving them. <laughs> <laughs> no, All right, Drew, text me on the side the shots, and I'll start making shots, <laughs> and you just be, be your nice forward-facing self. <laughs> No, but I, I mean, I think this like huge kudos to you. I don't, I think, I don't think you should understate the impact just because you're a small company. I think it's hard regardless of the size. And I think bigger companies have more resources. And so it's maybe more complicated, but you just throw an equivalent amount of resources towards it and get the same it's, outcome. It's probably greater risk. You know, Drew's yeah. uh, margins are probably tighter than Delta's and, you know, one bad year and those 25 people could shrink and he's got people relying on them. It's, you know, Delta can have a bad year and they'll usually be fine. Yeah. 
It's a good point. Like all the airlines right now are having terrible years. It's just like, well, maybe not from a profit standpoint, but from a service standpoint. So fuck you, Delta. <laughs> Delta might have a good sustainability <laughs> program. I got no, I, gonna, I, got, I, I have no beef with Delta. We're going to clip that one and we're going to send it to Delta. <laughs> <laughs> well, Drew, while we're here talking about, I want to hear your answer. I mean, we've touched on it, but it's something that we on this podcast really celebrate. It's something Owen and I have always aligned upon, which is why we're business partners and doing what we're doing with our company currently. But it's those of us who think the world needs something better, needs impact, needs change. Sometimes you can go about that by nonprofit. You can volunteer, you can donate. But we've always thought, again, Owen and I agreed on this when we met in grad school, the best way to have impact is through business. And I think I've heard you say this before. I mean, you said it earlier, you know, you want to make money by doing good. I mean, expand upon that. Why is that your thesis? Really good question. Well, we live in a capitalist world and I don't think we should not be ashamed about wanting to make money. That's just the system that we're in. And I, you know, thinking about other systems out there, you know, communism, for example, I just watched Oppenheimer, great movie, but I, I mean, it, it seems that capitalism, to me anyway, seems like the best system for us to organize around in as a society of people. And, but I think that we, you know, we've been doing it wrong. And that's this whole idea of B Corp. If you haven't heard about B Corps, please check it out, everybody out there. It's a very powerful idea, though, about harnessing the for-profit capitalist system to make a positive impact on people on the planet. And... Vertical Group became registered in the state of California as a corporate entity, as a benefit corporation. So we're legally required to think about our impacts. And then B Corp is a separate third party certification for companies who are, are serious about this and creating a scorecard like we were talking about. But, you know, I, I thought about going into the nonprofit world after after college, trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And, uh, you know, I. I was struggling trying to find a job. I wasn't qualified for anything. The pay was really low. And I think if we can successfully connect profit with positive impact, which is what we're talking about here in, in, cap, in the capitalist system, that's where we get these massive out, positive outcomes happen. I think it works the best as well. So I'm, I'm just agreeing with you. Yeah, I mean, imagine the impact if every company tried to do a little good with every dollar they made. Yeah. They didn't even have to be, you know, B Corps. They could just do a little incremental good. We'd be in a totally different space. Yeah. I'm Drew. I'm sure you do too. I get a lot of young people reach out to me on LinkedIn, see my profile and my career, and they want to learn how I got to where I got to or what lessons learned I could share and what advice I could give and people that want to save the planet with their career. And I often tell them, because you know, a lot of people want to get into big, fancy company, corporate sustainability. I want to work for Nike or Apple, whatever. You know, And I often tell people, don't. Start a company. Figure out a way to start a company. Go to a company and learn what it takes to run a company. Go work for someone like Drew Shula and see what it takes. Like We need more innovators, entrepreneurs, disruptors. That's what the world needs, not more corporate lackeys who are creating <laughs> ESG reports with forward-facing <laughs> goals and don't do shit. So, you know, well, That'll be my rant for the day. <laughs> I know it's hard because I worked at JLL in the past, which is a massive real estate company. And gosh, I had the hardest time there because I had already gotten in the mindset of, of working in sustainability. And there was almost no one else at that. This was, you know, 11, 12 years ago. There was almost no one else there thinking like that. So you're, it's very hard at these big companies. You're really swimming upstream against everybody else who doesn't give a shit. So. I appreciate that sentiment a lot, Joel, because I think we need that too. Sometimes it really helps though to have those kind of bad experiences at a big company and it makes you value and appreciate, you know, your what the benefits of a small company and being able to really focus on what you love every day and just be surrounded by that all the time. Like, gosh. So true. Um, I wouldn't feel that as if I hadn't worked at a huge company in the past, I don't think. Owen was so fed up in one of his corporate jobs, he started a company and almost was on food stamps or you were on food stamps, right? <laughs> I was going to say why. So I, qu I quit this. I had the cushiest corporate job ever. I probably worked two hours a day, maybe. 
and crushed it. And I quit for two main reasons. One, I implemented a one megawatt fuel cell for our company that say, you know, it was like a $10 million project. This was when there was the S chip around fuel cells in California. So I think we got 40% incentive and then there was a 30% tax credit. So we got a $10 million fuel cell for 3 million bucks, saved a million dollars per year. And I think it was a home run. When the project was, I guess, when it was operational, I got a thank you card from the CEO. This was a like a publicly traded company. This is a huge fucking company. CEO, CFO, my boss, and her boss, who is like the CSO. And it said, thanks for all the hard work, $25 gift card to Starbucks. And I was like, fuck you guys. <laughs> I would have rather had no money in it just a thank you but the fact that they like assigned a value to it and it was 25 dollars, pissed me off so bad and then shortly after that my the cso assigned me this project joel going to your point about how stupid some of these like job tasks are of creating plaques in our buildings and drew this one might hit a home for you so sorry but it was she asked me to design plaques that called out what like different lead components of our building. So like this building's lit with LED technology. These bathrooms have low flow toilets. And I was like, you guys are paying me a bunch of money to do energy projects. And now you want me to become like a corporate artist and make plaques. And I just didn't do it. I just didn't do the job. And part of the reason that I ultimately ended up quitting is because I thought I was going to get fired for not doing that job. <laughs> When you buy your, when, when you buy the next best of your abilities, <laughs> when you buy the next building for Raven as a congratulatory sentiment, I'll send you a twenty-five dollar gift card to Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations! Here's a go get yourself a latte at Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, Drew, this has been fun. We're, we're running out of time. I want to make sure we we really plug the conference because we, we talked a lot about it at the beginning, but it, it is very special. So we want to take this opportunity to help you reach more people, but before we do that, you're an optimist. You're one of the most optimistic climate fighters I know. So I, this question will not be difficult to you, but we always end the show with the same question to our to our guests, which is we're not going to harp on the doomsday news and the climate pessimism. We want to celebrate people disrupting, taking action, and ask you what gives you hope for the future. Yeah. I'm definitely an optimist. I think we're going to we're going to solve this one way or another. It's just a matter of how long it takes. And the, the sooner the better. But hopefully it's not these 2050 goals that we were talking about. Um, but yeah, I mean, a, a bit of a cliche response. But, you know, young people, right? We we're talking about uh, climate influencers earlier. And everybody out there, please check these folks out. Isaiah Hernandez and Kevin Patel, we mentioned earlier, were on the panel with Joel at last year's Net Zero conference. A couple others would be Wawa Gatheru and Leah Thomas and Christy Drutman are all great folks to follow on Instagram or LinkedIn or wherever you are. But yeah, young people get it. They're growing up in a very different world than we grew up in, right? You know, we're mid-career in our 40s, I think. I don't know about all you guys, but I'm 41. I'm there too. Owen's a little younger. 37. Okay. One guy's got... It's got a lot yeah. of gray in that beard these days. <laughs> All the stress of buying buildings. Yeah. <laughs> like 20 year olds, you know, they're 20 years younger than us now, right? And they're growing up in a very different world with very different messaging and education around the climate crisis. And they're responding to that and doing things quickly and making climate change, uh, climate action happen quickly and educating others about it. So that's my sort of cliche response. And then my other response for why to be a climate optimist is, is heat pumps. <laughs> I love that one word answer. <laughs> we can choose which one we <laughs> publish. <laughs> it's pretty simple. I mean, I work on building electrification. It's one of my main tasks in my day job. And sometimes get some executive like, <clears throat> oh, like this big expensive program we're running for our buildings over the world. Tell me more about it. Like, it's pretty fucking simple. We just got to get rid of boilers and replace them with heat pumps. I I'm going to sound like a... Like, like an idiot, even though it's my job to not be an idiot. But heat pumps work in all fifty states, correct? Oh yeah. What, what? Where did this come from that it that they don't? What do you think? Misinformation, or I mean, I don't. I think a lot is. There's been a lot of innovation in the last ten years. I get. I'd imagine like they're the 
using a refrigerant that taps into the thermal cycle to create heat and cool. That's not new technology necessarily. You know, our, our air conditioners that only create cool are essentially heat pumps. Yeah. But this dual purpose heat and cold and the ability to operate in really cold climates. I think that innovation has definitely taken leaps probably in the last five, 10 years than, than it mm. did previously. I see so many, th especially with the Inflation Reduction Act, I think heat pumps are going to start to be on a lot of consumers' minds. And there's so much stuff out there about, does it work? Will it work? Will, will it not work? But it's glad to hear I got two experts here I can ask all my questions to. Yeah, I think it's kind of a little bit similar to like electric vehicles, just in that people understand it, they like them, but like it might be a long time before they purchase their next car, you know? So, yeah. But like yeah, yeah. they yeah. want to do, whenever they do buy a car, they're like, I'm going to go to an EV. Like I feel like kind of similar with heat pumps. People are starting to learn about it a little bit, but hopefully next time they're ready to do like an HVAC upgrade, they move that direction. So true. Yeah. All right, Drew, let's wrap it up. Plug everything, plug your own social media, plug your company, but then Feel free here. Tell everyone about the conference, how they can sign up, when it is, can they still go? Will there yeah, be any speakers as good everybody. as me this year? I don't know, but we'll see. <laughs> Can't help but notice you didn't get invited back, Joel. It's true. <laughs> is that indicative of your that performance? <laughs> Joel will definitely be back. We didn't Not put him on the spot. Year, but in no. future years. No, yeah, please come out to the Net Zero Conference. Everybody in Los Angeles, middle of September 13th and 14th at the LA Convention Center. It's just netzeroconference.com. Go there, register. There's even free expo pass. So there's no barriers for anybody to come out and check it out. So please do come. We're just trying to expand the tent and get everybody there. And then our website's verticalgroup.com with a D in the middle. As I always have to explain, V-E-R-D, like the Latin root for green. So check out verticalgroup.com and on Instagram, sustainability underscore CEO, and then just my name on LinkedIn, Drew Shula, but would love to connect with everybody there as well on social. You hear that, Owen? This is the sustainability CEO in all of I'm America. Not shit. I don't I got no Instagram Twitter handle that I can use that really sums up what I do. This is the clout this is the kind of person you get on the Climate Rebels, Drew Shula. <laughs> it's funny because I actually just got on Instagram about a year ago. <laughs> I'm trying. You stole my handle, Drew. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Drew, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we wish you the best of luck at the conference and all the work you do. We'll be rooting for you. You know, we're always in touch. So we'll make sure we spread the word. Thank you, guys. And look forward to watching Raven just grow and grow in the years ahead as well and collaborate with you guys. So happy to be on. This was super fun. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate Jim. that. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining. You can find us on most of the social media platforms at Join Raven. So that's Join and Raven is with a Y, R-A-Y-V-E-N. You can find this podcast and more great content at joinraven.com. If you like the podcast, please subscribe, like, and share with your friends. And until next time, we encourage you to ask yourself, what are you doing to fight the climate crisis? Mm -hmm.